0: We're in a series called Not Ashamed, and we're studying the, the letter and looking through the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and Romans is such an amazing book. It's such a deep dive into the heart of the gospel, and the gospel, if you don't really feel like you have an understanding of what the gospel is, the gospel is Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. And he defeated your enemies and my enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. He did that for you. It's done. We live in victory. And it's learning how to live in that victory is important. And so we've been through chapter 1 through 11, right? And there's a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology, a lot of mystical things in in those chapters. In chapter 12, it's kind of a Paul takes a pivot and, and becomes way more practical in in light of all that he had taught us and taught the Roman church, here's how you should live. And so this becomes very practical. And in a minute, I'm going to read uh, the first few verses of chapter 12, and he starts with a therefore. And you've heard me say this before. When you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Because therefore means in light of all that I've just said, listen up. And that's what he's going to say to us. And so I've titled today's message transformed because that's what I see in Romans 12. How many enjoy TV shows about home makeovers? Like you take a house that's kind of run down and then you put all this work, just three or four of you. Go, okay, that's cool, cool, cool. Some of you are like, me. <laughs> how many like shows about cars that get restored you take an old rusty car and and then they make it like this really cool deal all the dudes were like right on yeah that's me guys that like the home makeover shows were like yeah i don't think so (laughs) i saw it well the good news the gospel transforms us it gives us That makeover that we need, that restoration that all of us are in need of, the gospel transforms us. And maybe today, somebody feels kind of like an old rusted out truck that needs restoration. That might be you, or a house that needs renovation, a house that needs transformation. I got really good news. Jesus is in the business of transforming our lives. And here's the, even put a little caveat, uh, explanation point on it. He is not going to rest until we are conformed into his image and likeness. He's not going to let us just stay in neutral. We get to participate with him. But he is is going to transform the way we think, act, and speak so that we live like him. And that doesn't mean we walk around as little holier-than-thou people with robes on speaking King James, right? It it, it means that we learn how to be ourselves and our personalities in the way that he would think, act, and speak in any given circumstance. So... Through chapter 12, I want to answer the question, how does the gospel transform our lives? How does the gospel transform our lives? I had a little can of V8 that I was just about to chug right before I came up here, and then the worship got quiet, and I think a tsh- of that would not have been very appropriate, so dying for my V8. But anyway... Um, First thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this, the gospel gives us a transformed mind, it transforms your thinking, the way you think. And this is so, so important. Paul says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Service of worship. Let me pause if you want to hold that up there for me. Think of the culture and the time that Paul was writing this. He's saying instead of bringing grain offerings to the temple or sacrificing animals or any other kind of offering, offer your whole life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I think there's power in embracing that. Then he says, and do not be conformed to this world. What does he mean by the world? It's the world's way of thinking. The world is all about self. It's all about me and how do I get ahead? How am I going to be taken care of? The kingdom of Jesus is about becoming unselfish and becoming others-centered. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. A transformed mind is a new outlook on life. A transformed mind is getting a new worldview. In a worldview, everybody on the planet has a worldview. And a worldview is the set of lenses in which we interpret life, circumstances, etc. That's a worldview. And Jesus wants us to have his worldview. And I want his worldview. I want to see people in life as he sees people in life. And I know you do as well. In a cool promise... In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says that you and I have the mind of Christ. We can think like Jesus. We can learn how to think like Jesus, which then we begin to speak and act like Jesus. When you study, like people study like brain scans of the actual, that, that gray matter in between our ears that we call our brains, that Sometimes they can see on a scan people who are having fearful thoughts, having anxious thoughts, and you can see these patterns of brain waves. That's how amazing the human brain really is. And when somebody gets a fearful thought or an anxious thought, and you play it over and over and over in your mind like a CD skipping, you guys remember CDs, right? They they, they would skip sometimes. And you play it over and over, and what happens is it creates a groove inside of your brain for those anxious and fearful thoughts to just continue to have easy flow. But they've also proven that when somebody changes their thought life and begins to think joyful thoughts, peaceful thoughts, that you can regroove your brain so that you are no longer just all mind always on, on angry, fearful and anxious thoughts, but on joy and on peace. We can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what Paul's saying here. Transformation begins in our thought life. It begins in our thought life. Thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to behavior or actions thoughts begins with thoughts that leads to feelings feelings lead to behavior now when we want to change bad behavior or bad habits in our life we typically run right to the behavior i'll never do it again i'm done with this habit i'm done with this hang-up and we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps only to find ourselves like going i did it again and I did it again. I said it again. I reacted again. You, don't, you, you cannot change bad behavior through trying to just change the behavior itself. And you can't try to do it by changing your feelings. Because feelings, um, they're determined by what we think about. They determine, uh, our feelings are determined by our thought life you tracking with me this is important this is important to understanding a transformed mind and so ask yourself the question what what's consuming my thoughts right now is it worry is it anger fear something negative well paul wants us to he wants us to understand that jesus gives us a transformed mind the gospel Transforms us when we flood our minds with the truth about Jesus, who He is and what He's done. Jesus gives us true self esteem. Jesus gives us true self worth. Jesus gives us true joy. Jesus gives us true peace. He's the be all end all of everything for us. And He does that through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. There's a promise In the person of Jesus for every single one of your fears. There's actually 365 times God tells us not to be afraid in the Bible. There's one for every day, both Old and New Testaments. There's answers for our problems. There's answers for our anger. All of that found in Jesus. So here's what I would practically challenge you to do is practice strategic Scripture memory. If you have an anger problem, then go to the scriptures and just look up the word anger, and then find out what, what the Lord has promised about how we handle anger, fear, anxiety, anxious thoughts, whatever that is, and practice strategic scripture memory, and you watch how your mind will be transformed, and you be, become freer than you, than you ever dreamed you could be. So secondly, the gospel gives us a transformed ministry. So the gospel gives us a transformed mind, but then the gospel gives us a transformed ministry. The word ministry means to serve. That's what a a minister is, a servant. So all of us have a ministry as you're going to find out that you've been given a ministry gift by the person of the Holy Spirit. And I think when we understand a transformed ministry, it's really understanding I got a transformed purpose to my life. I got a calling that God wants to use me to impact people. To impact people. Think of what Christy was just saying that one little family who didn't know where they were going to get food this week. You impacted a life by being generous, but simply being generous. We our lives matter, and people's lives matter, and you can impact. Lives embracing your ministry transforms how we see our purpose let me read he continues on in verse 4 for just as we have many parts in one body and all the body's parts do not have the same function so we who are many are one body in christ and individually parts of one another let me pause there if you'll leave that up on the screen Paul's riffing off this idea of using the physical body as a metaphor for the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, he gives a deep dive. That, that one member of the body, meaning my thumb, to my big toe, say, oh, I'm more important than you, big toe. And he's kind of using this same understanding here that, that whatever part you play in the body of Christ, you are important. And let me give you a kind of a funny illustration. Do you think about your pinky toe a whole lot? I'm being serious. Do you think about your pinky toe? You know, that little digit on the side of your foot on both feet, that little toe? Probably not. But have you ever blown up your pinky toe? I have. I in the dark kicked the corner of a wall with my pinky toe. I mean, it was just like like a bomb going off. It was bloody and, and it was terrible. Try to walk without a pinky toe. You can't do it. It's 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 vital part of, of just as the rest of the body of uh, members of our body are. And so it's kinda like can the the eyes and the mouth look at the pinky toe and say, Who needs that little guy, (laughs) that widow guy, you know, because it's all needed. And maybe you feel like a pinky toe in the body of Christ. Maybe you feel insignificant. You're not insignificant to Jesus and how he sees the body of Christ. We tend to elevate certain gifts and things in the body of Christ when every single one of us is just as important as as any other role he says however since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us each of us is to use them properly if prophecy in proportion to one's faith if service in the act of serving or the one who teaches in the act of teaching or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation the one who gives with generosity the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Give you a thirty thousand foot drive by of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Um, there are usually we three categories of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There are what we would call the manifestation gifts in first Corinthians twelve and fourteen. And those gifts are the powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's the gifts of healing, miracles, speaking in tongues. um, There's nine listed that that the Holy Spirit um, distributes as as He wills. And we are to pursue those gifts in the body of Christ. We are to pursue those gifts. Then the ministry gifts are the ones that are listed here in romans 12 and you've been given a ministry gift by by god i'll come back to that in a second then there's what we often call the maturing gifts in ephesians 4 and that's that jesus has given to the body of christ we call it the fivefold ministry prophet evangelist apostle um, teacher and pastor And so, not everyone's called to those maturing gifts. And I don't know why. It's according to the grace that Jesus decides to give. So, to just kind of go over that again, the manifestation gifts are as the Spirit wills. We were just talking about this in Cafe. It's good to ask God for healing and miracles. It it, it is good. He wants us to do that. But the how and the when is up to the Holy Spirit, not up to us. We don't have those gifts. The Holy Spirit does. It's important. We're to seek those things, but we're also to trust Him um, in His sovereignty. Then the maturing gifts, the prophet, apostle, teacher, evangelist, pastors, that is as Jesus calls. And then the ministry gifts is as the Father has bestowed upon each one of us through the Spirit. And each one of us has a ministry gift. And he listed them out here. This is not an exhaustive list, but the ones that he puts before us. He says, if it's prophecy, what does that mean to prophesy? I think it's super important that we understand. When we think of prophecy, we, we often think of maybe the book of Revelation or Old Testament stuff or whatever. That's not what he has in mind here. We're limited in our English language in understanding the Greek words that are being translated. This is not the office of a prophet as listed in evangelism 4, Ephesians 4. And a prophet or a prophetic gift is someone who has been called by God to give direction and correction to his church direction and correction and not everybody's called to do that some people have that little bent in how they're wired and how they're gifted but prophecy here is not speaking out in king james and foretelling the future it is have you ever had this happen to you before i bet you have you just didn't know the gift of prophecy was happening where you just get this prompting hey i want you to go talk to so and so I want you to talk to them and just tell them I love them. Tell them that I, I'm, I got their back. And that is the, the gift of prophecy. Now, we all can do that, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. But listed here, there's an extra measure of grace for some people here. It's for edification, comfort, and exhortation. Then he says, serving. Aren't we all called to serve? Yeah, we are, but if you look around this room, you know that there are some people who have an extra measure of grace when it comes to serving. When you don't have the gift of serving and it's time to serve, you're kind of like, "Mm, do I really have to do this this morning or do I really have to do that? Someone who has the gift of serving, it just naturally, spiritually comes easy for them. Extra measure of grace there. And then he says, Some have the gift of teaching. And the gift of teaching, I believe, is different than the gift of preaching. The, the gift of teaching is the ability to interpret Scripture as so to help others, you know, apply it to their life and to have understanding. And you might wonder, Are you a teacher? Do you have a teaching gift? Well, ask yourself this question Do you enjoy the process of digging deep into the Scripture? And trying to lift out its meaning. Do you enjoy the process of maybe putting together a teaching, an outline, and so forth? And you may have the gift of teaching because people who have that enjoy that process. I talk to other people, they're like, I don't know how you do this every week. And, and it's, it's, it's more can be more of a chore sometimes for somebody who's given an, an opportunity to teach, whether it's in a home group or a devotional or whatever, But what's important is I would separate teaching from preaching a little bit because preaching is a little more exhorting, challenging, versus just lifting out the meaning of Scripture. I'm not limiting that to anything here. I'm just giving you a drive-by. And then he says exhorting. Aren't we all to exhort one another and to encourage one another? You bet. We should excel in the ministry of encouragement. However, Some of you have a little extra measure of grace when it comes to giving encouragement to others. Then he says, generosity. Don't we see that we're all supposed to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure? You bet. We're all to be generous. But it's just a fact that God has given the ability to some people to create wealth that funds the kingdom of God and that funds the church and that funds... Um, his work in this world. That's some people have that that gift. That doesn't mean the rest of us get to go. Okay, we'll let all those with the gift of generosity do it. No, we're all called to to be generous. But there's going to be there. There might just be more in the person that's been given that grace. Then he says leadership. I think that's pretty obvious. That we're all leaders to some degree. But he's called some to to lead in a different capacity than others i always say this i i am not the shepherd of novation church um i am the lead sheep and the lead sheep says hey jesus is going this way let's follow him that's that's how i i'm lead servant here that's that that comes from my role not to be i'm the shepherd no jesus is the shepherd of novation church and every church my role is to just be the lead sheep because that's what I am. I'm a fellow sheep and I just have a, a calling in leadership in this season. Then he says mercy and compassion. Again, we're all called to show mercy. We're all called to show compassion. But some people have just been gifted with mercy and compassion to a, a higher level with others. Let me, let me stop this one here and I want to tell you this. If this is stirring something in you and you're going, I don't know what my ministry gift is. Um, I would like to know. Email me. I'll be glad to sit down, have a coffee with you and talk it through. Any of our leadership would be glad to do that. Because it's such a joy to see people find and, and, and unleash their ministry gift within the body of Christ and in in the community as well. So if that's you, Scott. With two T's at novationchurch.org. All right? The last one. The gospel gives us a transformed model. So it gives us a transformed mind, a transformed ministry, and a transformed model. And by model, I mean example. A blueprint for how to live your life. That's what the gospel does. It's a new way of life. New way of life. A new response to life. A new approach to life. And this model of Jesus in His kingdom is so counterintuitive. It's so countercultural. That's why we don't ever want to bleed when we're talking about the ways of the world and the ways of the kingdom. They are distinct when it comes to how we live our lives. And and by that, guess what? I don't mean your behavior, whether you watch movies or you have a beer or you said a cuss word one time, I, that's, that is not what I'm talking about. So do not go down that road because what I'm about to share with you is 10 times more difficult than not saying a cuss word or any other thing that in, a, in our lives. Check this out. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Leave that up there. It's important to know what the word hypocrisy means in the Bible times when this was written when people would go to the theater They would uh, They would watch the actors come out on stage and they would have different masks on when they would come out to do their play or whatever And they would change masks In between scenes and they called them hypocrites That's what the the root word of our word hypocrisy or hypocrite literally means without masks. So for our love to be authentic, we take off the mask, put that thing away, and we be authentic in how we love one another and care for one another. Love must be free of hypocrisy, detest what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another. Pause when you hear a one another in scripture there 's like sixty one anothers that we 're to practice as believers together. Love one another, care for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Forgive one another and the purpose of our our home groups really at its at its bottom line is a place to practice the one another's with other believers. So if you're not in a home group, I would encourage you to, to find a home group to be a part of. Our home groups are imperfect. The people who lead them are perfect. The guy who is the lead sheep of this church is imperfect. We're all imperfect. We all got quirks. You still need each other. We still need to be in fellowship with one another. So get in a home group. Craig and Stacy. Craig, do this. They are our home group directors. They'd be glad to help you find one. Uh, Where was I before I started preaching? (laughs) In honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Here's where it gets hard. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What? Someone cusses at me and I don't get to cuss back? Someone cuts me off in traffic? I don't get to flip them the bird like and get do road rage? Yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. That does not come easy for most of us. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind or proud, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Did he really use the word never? Aren't there certain circumstances I can deck somebody i mean give me a break respect what is right in the sight of all people if possible uh oh so far as it depends on you be at peace with all people i hear some hums going on i hear you i feel you i said hum too never take your own revenge beloved but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know why? Because he's not like us. He's, he's, he, the way he would re- initially respond isn't the way we would respond. We tend to want a vengeful, wrathful God. God, go get him. Go get him. It was uh, Richard Enochs you posted yesterday on Facebook, That the true test of our Christianity is not just that we love Jesus, but that we also love Judas. That was good. Brother was helping me with my message. (laughs) But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Remember what we said about enemies last week? Someone who's hostile with you. That's what an enemy is. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does it mean to heap hot coals? Because that sounds like something fun I would like to do to someone I want to hurt. Does it not? And I think we think to ourselves, see, I'll do good to them, and then I'll heap hot coals on their head. Doggone it. Then I'll get them. I'll pay them back. That's not even what that means. In the Bible times, hot coals were a hot commodity, truly. And if you wanted to have your fire going all the time for heat, especially in colder times of the year, you had to have hot coals. And so what would happen is if somebody ran out of their hot coals, they would literally take a a big bowl and put it on their head, And they would walk by the windows of people's houses. I need hot coals. Hot coals. Anybody got extra hot coals? And the ones that were kind would take their tongs and drop a couple hot coals into that person's bowl on top of their head. They were actually doing something very good to that person. So if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. And for the last three weeks, I said Romans 9, 10, and 11 might be the real deep end of the pool. I think this is, because this holds up a mirror to our lives practically, to my life. How do I respond to difficult people? And one of the things I think is so important is for us, regardless of our age, to learn the principle of responding versus reacting. This can happen in your marriage, friendships, at school, at work, wherever it is. Learning to respond rather than react to people and to circumstances. Now, I'm pretty good at reacting. Anybody going to admit that with me? It's so much easier to react. But learning to respond is learning to go, I'm not going to react. Lord, help me here. And you, you pray about something And then you ask How should I respond If anything in this situation But when you're a reactor You find yourself in conflict or, or mad at people pretty quick Pretty easy Get your feelings hurt Boom! React Something happens in driving Here I go again with driving But it's so easy to, to overreact in driving Right? You're going to get challenged As soon as you leave church today Somebody's going to cut you off <laughs> And you're going to go, do, 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 radar, radar, respond, don't react. I heard a story years ago about a man who did prison ministry. And he went to this particular prison and he would go and he would tell the inmates about Jesus and he would preach the gospel to him. And one day he was in this particular prison and an inmate spit on him and said, I don't want to hear about your Jesus. Jesus. So what did he do? He came back the next week, spit on him. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. This went on for four years. He, he did it every week for four years. And on this last time he was there, instead of spitting on the man, he said, the way you've loved me and how much you want me to know your Jesus, I'm ready today. And that guy ended up giving his life to Jesus. He didn't react. You spit on me, we're probably duking it out, right? Because that's, that's the worst. But not on someone who's under control of the Holy Spirit, who's living out the model of the way of Jesus. I think of of... Well, let me tell you this first... I don't know if you remember this. Some of you are old enough. In 1981, Pope John Paul, um, there was an attempt, attempted assassination on his life. This is a photo from in his little motorcade. He got shot four times in the abdomen. You can go to the next one. He, here he is. There, these people are attending to him. And the people who are attending to him, who were there live in person, said this. As soon as he was shot, he said, tell, that, tell whoever it is I forgive him. I forgive him. I release him of any guilt of what he tried to do to me. It was instantaneously flowed out of this man's mouth. He said, I forgive him. So if I die, know that I die forgiving this guy. After he recovers, it was about a year or so later, he goes and visits this man in prison. And he blesses him. And he prays for him. The man was from Turkey. He's sentenced to life in prison in an Italian prison. And he prays with him and he forgave him. And they actually shook hands. That's the new model. That's what we're talking about here. This following Jesus stuff is not easy. That's why he didn't say take up your easy chair and follow me he said take up your cross and follow me learning to die to self this is hard stuff but it's worth it it's so worth anybody who is genuinely following jesus and not just trying to have him fix their life but to order their life as they follow him says there's no other way where are we going to go lord you Hold the words to eternal life Like there is no other Made me think of Stephen Who was the first Christian martyr We see in the book of Acts He was sharing truth With the religious leaders And they didn't want to hear it When he told them that they were uh, Stiff-necked folks Always resisting They took up rocks And they began to stone him to death For blasphemy and it says that there was a man named saul standing right by this stoning of stephen this saul who would later become the apostle paul who wrote the words that i just read to you and said paul approved like yes kill this guy and it says that stephen as he was about to die saw a vision in heaven of jesus at the right hand of the father And Stephen said, Lord, do not hold this against them. He was practicing this. He was practicing the way of Jesus. Paul was transformed from a religious terrorist who thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians into becoming the Apostle Paul who God used to change the known world at the time and whose words we're reading and studying 2,000 years later. So as I was praying on how to to bring a conclusion to this, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit's leading. And I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask you, is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone right now that needs to be released in your heart? From their betrayal their sin against you something that has happened maybe it's right in your marriage right now maybe it's in your family maybe it's a friendship remember this forgiveness is not forgetting we don't forget betrayal we don't forget the hurts that someone did to us so that's not what it means to forgive is to just not have any memory of it anymore forgiveness is not a feeling either. You're not going to work up a forgiveness feeling. It's still going to hurt. You're still going to feel the sting of what happened to you. Forgiveness is is two things. Forgiveness is not taking revenge over a wrong done to you. And forgiveness is a willingness to stop bringing up the offense, or the hurt and, t- and telling somebody else about what somebody did to you. That's forgiveness. That's how we forgive. And forgiveness frees us from a prison of unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness, you're not hurting the other person that you're not forgiving. You're not getting revenge on them. I'll never forgive them. Okay, try living your whole life in a prison cell of unforgiveness. And I get it. Some folks have been wronged really, really bad. And I'm not trying to make that small. It's real. But Jesus wants us to forgive and become like him and live transformed in his way of the kingdom. Here's one thing I've come to the conclusion. You know you have forgiven somebody when you can pray blessings over their life. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. When you can pray a blessing back over that person's life, I tell you, move on. You've forgiven. And so what I want you to do is just close your eyes. And silently, ask the Lord, Lord, is there anybody I need to forgive? Ask Him that in your mind. And as he brings that person to your mind, in your mind, just say, Lord, I forgive them as I've been forgiven. I forgive them for the hurt that they did to me. I put them into your hands, Lord. And now in your mind, just pray, Blessings over this person that you're forgiving. Pray blessings. Ask Jesus to open their hearts to Him. I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me that there's somebody in here that that you need to forgive is, is not even alive anymore. And you can't go to them for reconciliation or have a conversation. He would say to you, forgive them, release them, release them to me. Take them to the cross. Would you stand with me? That's why the Lord told us when we're to pray is to forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Like there's no way around that. And it's an important cleansing thing for our souls and our emotions, our mental health is to release people. You've been transformed and you're being transformed. Will you say this with me? Say, I've been transformed. transformed. Believe it today. Take it to the bank. Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercy that's new every day. I thank you that your love endures forever. Thank you for not giving up on us. Um, Help us to have the eyes and ears and senses of Jesus to the world around us. And Lord, we all affirm and reaffirm today and agree with you by by faith that you are Lord and Savior and we want to follow you all the days of our life. Thank you that there is no condemnation in Christ. Thank you for what you've done for us. May we live free in that. Lord, may, may those who have been convicted this morning not feel condemnation, but just feel like, okay, Lord, I'm a work in progress. I get it. Help them to participate with you and what you're doing. Thank you that you don't condemn, but you love us. And you love us enough to tell us the truth. We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen.